Now, over the past eight weeks, we've been in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we've been looking at this model of prayer that Jesus taught the disciples. And I know that God has used it in some incredible ways in your life because of the volume of emails that I've gotten. It's unbelievable the stories that I have received from you via email of how God has been at work in your life. Uh, You're way more committed to spending time with the Father. Your prayer life has really been enhanced. What you pray for, how you pray has, has changed. And it's really been great to hear the stories. But I want you to know that not only has your life been transformed, but my life has been transformed also. I just don't spend time in the Word and listening to things and reading things and putting some thoughts together that I could just come in here and unload them to you. But God has been at work in my own personal life as it relates to prayer. How I pray, what I pray for, the, 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 the kinds of things that I spend time talking with the Father about. Your, your pastor's life has been changed. And so I know that the Lord has, has been at work in lots of ways. And today we're going to wrap up the series by looking at that last phrase. Those 14 words, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, most of your Bibles don't have those 14 words in them. In fact, you've been looking in your Bible and going, hey, I don't have that last phrase in my Bible. Most of you don't have it in your Bible. It is not in my Bible. And the reason why is, is because in the earliest manuscripts that we have, the most reliable manuscripts we have, those 14 words weren't in there. Now, it is in some of your Bibles, depending on the version that you have. Uh, Most of us have heard the Lord's Prayer, and so uh, we've said those last 14 words, or we've sang the song, the Lord's Prayer, and we always sing those last 14 words. But in most of your Bibles, it's not there. Uh, I like what Dr. MacArthur said. He said, although it, these 14 words, may not have been in the original account, the words are perfectly fitting in this passage and express truths that are thoroughly scriptural. They form a beautiful doxology declaring the preeminence of God as seen in the greatness of his eternal kingdom, the greatness of his eternal power, and the greatness of his eternal glory. Now, though these 14 words aren't found in most of your Bibles, I still want to share a few thoughts concerning them because most of us memorized it with those with that last phrase or we've sang about it. And it, I agree with Dr. MacArthur, does form a beautiful doxology. But it's also going to, be, going to give me a chance to answer an important question, a question that I get all the time, and that is, how can I experience God's blessings in my life? I got this card, I think it was two weeks ago, and it says this. It says, Pastor Rick, I know a lot of Christians whose lives are miserable. Some of you are here, and you've received Christ as your Savior, and your life is miserable. He goes on and says, they're making no difference for God's kingdom. 
I don't want to be one of these Christians. Please help me. I get questions like that all the time. I want my one life to count. I, I, I want to make sure that somehow my life is making a difference. That, that question resonates with me because when I first gave my life to the Lord, it was a thought that I had. I remember thinking, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to settle for second best. I understood my sin. I understood just how crummy my life was. I knew, I believed that God's son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, had come to planet Earth and died a horrible death for me. I knew what it took to cleanse me of my sin. I believed it. And therefore, I didn't want to just live any old kind of life. I wanted the one life I had to count. And I can remember those early days as a Christian saying, God, you know, I don't know what all this means, and I don't know how it's all going to happen, but, man, I'll give you my one life and do something with it, will you, God? Whatever. It's yours. I think most of you would say the same thing. I, 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 don't, I just can't imagine, you, you know, somebody who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, really understands what it took to have your, cleanse, you know, your, your, your sins forgiven, who doesn't want to live a God-honoring life. I, I think all of us do. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said the thief's purpose, the devil's purpose, the demon's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the job description of, of, of our enemy. He comes to, 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 to steal, uh, steal our joy, steal our purpose. He comes to kill, destroy the, the good things that God wants to do in our lives. He comes to basically make our lives miserable. That's what he wants. And he's got his PhD in pulling it off. But Jesus goes on and says, here's my job description. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Some of your Bibles say an abundant life. Some of your Bibles say a full life. So here you got these two contrary, you know, job descriptions. One is, man, one guy just wants to make your life a mess, make it miserable. You know, your life doesn't really count, really makes no difference. And there's Jesus saying, oh, no, man, I've came to, to give you an incredible life, to make the one life you have really significant. I want to give you a rich and satisfying life. And I think we all want that. We all want to experience this rich and satisfying life that Jesus came to, 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 to give us. We want God's blessing in our lives. The problem is, is this, is that it just doesn't happen automatically, does it? Just because you give your life to Jesus Christ doesn't mean that all of a sudden, wow, your one life really matters. Your one life really counts now. The blessings of God are on your life. Boy, you're going to experience that rich and satisfying life now. No, it doesn't happen automatically. That's why all of us know Christians who are miserable. No joy, just, just, they're just empty. So what does it take? What does it take to have a rich and satisfying life? What does it take to really experience God's blessings in your life? How do you make your, your one life, you know, really count? 
that your one life would be used for God's kingdom in significant ways. Well, as I have studied the lives of some of the great Christians in the Bible, I've learned that there are basically three things or, or maybe three keys to experiencing the blessing of God in your life. And all three of them are summed up in this last phrase, these last 15 words of the Lord's Prayer. Look at verse 13. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And you ought to underline in, in, in your notes, because most of you don't have that phrase in your Bible, those three words, kingdom, power, and glory. These three words, in my opinion, are the the keys that unlock the blessing of, of God in your life. They're, they're the, the keys to experiencing that rich and satisfying, full, abundant life that Jesus came to give you. So I want us to, to, to kind of walk through this together. I think for some of you, <laughs> this is going to be a great morning. I think some of you are going to walk out here going, wow, I get it. I get it. You walked in here empty, wondering how can my one life count, maybe miserable would describe you, and you're going to walk out of here just a different person. You're going to hear from the Lord. Number one, God blesses you. You, you experience the rich and satisfying life when you seek God's kingdom. There's that first word, first. You, you experience God's blessing. Your, your one life really begins to take on great significance when you seek God's kingdom first. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to seek God's kingdom first? Well, it means a lot of things, but let me give you a, a thought or six. It, it means that you make God's agenda for your life your agenda for your life. That's what it means. It means that you make God's plan for your life your plan for your life. It means that you make God's will for your life your will for your life. It means that you make God's to-do list, if you will, for your life your to-do list for your life. And when you do this, when, when you make God and his kingdom your first priority, he will bless your life in ways that will blow your mind. When you make his agenda your agenda, when you make his will your will, wow, you will begin to experience that full life, that abundant life, that rich and satisfying life that Jesus came to, 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 to give you. Listen, when you care, when you really care about the things that God cares about, really, when you, when you make the things that are a top priority to God a top priority to you, wow, buckle your seatbelts. Your life will change. It won't matter what's happening, you know, out here. Your, your, the outward circumstances of your life won't matter. You won't be dependent upon those things to give you that rich and satisfying life. Because something will be happening internally. When you really care, 
when you really make God's kingdom your top priority. Look, as a Christian, I know that God's a part of your life. I know that. But God doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be the priority in your life. That's what matters. You see, if God is just a part of your life, hey, I'm here, aren't I, right? I mean, it's Sunday morning, I'm here. You know. I even picked up my Bible, I'm here. I threw something in the offering basket a minute ago. But his will really isn't what drives you. His agenda isn't what drives you. It's your agenda. It's what you want to do with your life. You'll never, you'll never experience that abundant life that God came to bring you. Never. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, I tell you, don't worry about the food or drink you need to live or about the clothes you need for your body. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. And you know that you are worth much more than the birds. You cannot add time to your life by worrying about it. And why do you worry about clothes? Look how the lilies of the field grow. They don't work or make clothes for themselves. But I tell you that even Solomon, with all his riches, was not dressed as beautifully as some of these flowers. God clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today, but tomorrow is thrown into the fire. So you can even be more sure that God will clothe you. Don't have so little faith. Don't worry and say, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The people who do not know God keep trying to get these things, and your Father in heaven knows you need them. Seek first God's kingdom. God's agenda, God's will, God wants, then all your other needs will be met as well. I used to have a, an office right over on the other side of where the, the venue is. And um, Matthew chapter 6 here used to be played out almost daily right in front of my window. There's a set of windows. And I used to watch these crows land in, in the trees out where our office complex is. And these crows would, would grab a walnut. And then they would fly back over right in front of my office. There's a road that would, goes right by it. And they would take this walnut, these crows, and, and they knew exactly how high they needed to be. If they were too high and they let go of the walnut, when it hit the ground, it would shatter and the, and the nut inside would, would go everywhere. If they were too low, they'd drop the walnut and it would just bounce. But I was amazed that somehow they knew right where to go and they would have the walnut in their mouth, they would drop it, it would crack open, and there this crow would eat the walnut. Somehow, God had hardwired into this crow's dinky brain. Here's how you can get food. God took care of the crow. And God didn't come and die for a crow. But he takes care of the crow. 
He came and hung on a cross and shed his blood for you, human beings. You are what is made in God's image, you. And if God takes care of a crow, he'll take care of you. All you have to do is one thing. You make sure you put him first. You put him first in your life. His will, his agenda, his plan, his purposes for your life. You do that and God says, wow, I will take care of you. I will bless you. Jesus says all those things that we tend to worry about as human beings, you know, your future, your happiness, your health, your security, your relationships, the making of money, putting clothes on your back, putting food on the table, putting a roof over your head. Jesus says if you'll seek God's kingdom first above all other things, I'll take care of you. It's a promise. However, if you choose not to put God's kingdom first, if you choose not to put his will first, his agenda first, he's under no obligation to meet your needs. He says, it's when you seek me first, when I'm first in your life, that's when he says, watch what I do. I'll pour out my blessing on you. I'll meet every need that you have, not every want, though he does often meet our wants, but he says, I'll meet your needs when I'm first. I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. You'll experience that full life, that abundant life. But if you choose, even as a Christian, to have some other agenda, your own, you know, or whatever, then God says, the, the promise is off. I, I, I'm not under obligation to, to, to take care of you. Jesus knows what you need. He knows. And he says, look, you just seek me first. You put my kingdom, my will, above every other thing, and I'll bless your life. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you in ways that will just amaze you. So how do we make God's kingdom, God's will, uh, a priority? How, how do we keep God first in our lives? I want to give you five thoughts here. Five practical things that we can all do that I think if you apply them, you do them, wow, God will be the center of, of your life. Number one, give the Lord the first thoughts of every day, and I've talked about these before. Give the Lord the first thoughts of every day. The Bible says in Psalm 5, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. How do you do this? How do you give the Lord the first thought of every day? Well, let me get real practical. I did it this morning, and I want to challenge all of you in here and over in the venue. I want the, big, the, the people of this church to, to take this challenge this week. I did it this morning. Your alarm goes off. Nee, 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 nee. You reach over, you turn it off. Before you talk to anybody else, before you talk to your spouse, before you do anything, you talk to the Lord. Good morning, Lord. Hey, I'm alive. My heart's still beating. I'm still taking in air, so that means you have a purpose for my life today. 
You have a will for my life today. God, help me to know what that is. Now, excuse me, because I need to get a cup of coffee. And then get up and go get a cup of coffee. I mean, there doesn't have to be anything long. Just acknowledge him. Acknowledge his presence in your life. And by the way, that's exactly what I did this morning. And then I got up and bumbled my way into the, you know, the, 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 the kitchen and had my coffee. And You see, what happens too often is we get up, and the first thing we do is bumble out to the coffee, read the newspaper, check our inbox, you know, watch, you know, some news program, and we've set the sail for the day. We set the direction for the day. And I'm here to tell you this. Look, you want to experience that rich and satisfying life, you've got to make God in his kingdom number one, and I think one of the ways you do that is you've got to give him the very first thought of each day. But it's going to take more than that. Number two, you've got to give the Lord the first day of every week. The Bible says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the bad habit of doing. Your Bible says habit, I, I added bad. That's a bad habit to get into, and unfortunately, too many believers do. Too many Christians do. They get into the habit of waking up and going, you know what, I know it's Saturday night or Sunday morning. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to church today. You want to keep God number one in your life, give him that first thought of every day. It's the challenge. And now I want to challenge you, we're starting a new series next week, to say, you know what, sit down with your spouse or you as an individual and say, I'm going to commit to giving the Lord the first day of every week. And what does that look like? Let me give you a thought. I want you to make the same commitment, dad, mom, as you would if your son or daughter has just signed up for the soccer team or the softball team. You see, the world demands a commitment. The world demands it. You want to be in soccer? You will be here. And guess what we do as Christians? Yes, I will be there, even if it's on Sunday. I'll give up the worship of God, and I will be at this place where my son can do this. Unbelievable what we teach our children. Unbelievable. All I'm going to ask of you is what the world asks. That you say, I am committing to bringing my family to church. And it's okay if your son or daughter plays softball. Just sit down with the coach and say this. Hey, listen, I love my son. I love my daughter playing softball. I love my son or daughter playing, you know, soccer, baseball, whatever it is. And my son will be here unless you're going to require him to be here on the weekend. Now, the good news is we have Saturday and Sunday services. Because the priority in my family isn't this. The priority in my family is a little bit different. We put the Lord ahead of this. I'm going to challenge you to make that commitment. Jesus said, if you want to be one of my followers, 
You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Let me tell you something. You give the Lord the first thought of every day, and you make a commitment to say, you know what? The fellowship of believers is critical. There's something about this. When God's people comes together, that's important to God. I, I, I'm committing to that. Number three, give the Lord the first part of every paycheck. The Bible says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part. The best part. The, the, the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Beloved, when you bring an offering to God like we just did a, a little bit ago, it's a way of saying to God, God, I want you to be first in my life. There, there's no way you can tell me that God and his kingdom is the number one thing in your life, that God and God's will, his agenda, his purposes are the number one thing in my life if you don't bring God the best part of your income, whatever that is. Some of you, bless your souls, you've been coming here a while and you like the chairs we're sitting in. You like the fact that we air condition the building when it's hot. And you like the fact that we cool the building when it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, or heat it up when it's cold. You, you like the music. You're glad that there's sound system. You love the fact that your kids are in the children's ministry. You like the fact that we have a parking lot where you can park and all those kinds of things. You love the idea that when, when things happen in your life, there's a pastoral staff that's here to be a blessing to you. You love all of that, but you've never given a nickel to support it. And that has to change. That has to change in your life. You're never going to experience the, that rich and satisfying life. You'll never experience that, that abundant, full life if you're not bringing him a gift. Never. Some of you, you know, when that thing goes by, the little basket goes by, you're fumbling around in your pocket and you pull out a couple bucks or whatever and you're throwing it in. He's not getting the best part of it. He's not getting the best. He's just getting the leftover. He's getting whatever you just happen to have in your wallet or your purse. And he's worthy of better than that. If you give the Lord the first thought of every morning, you give him the first day of every week, you give him the best part, the first part of every paycheck. Let me tell you something. Those are things that are going to keep you centered on Christ. Number four, give the Lord the first consideration in every decision. Before you do anything, you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? What would God want done in this situation? God, what is your will for this situation? Those of you that own businesses, God, what would you want me to do with my business? Some of you know Christ, but you've never allowed Jesus anywhere near your business. You've never sat down and, and, and with your spouse or whatever and said, God, you gave me this business, whether you got one employee or 100 employees or whatever, and said, God, what is it you want? Who do we hire? Who don't we hire? God, do you want us to expand? Do we not expand? What do we do? God, how do we make it through this next month? Man, it's just going to be tough. 
God, what do you want me to do with my vacation? You ever invited God to be a part of that piece of your life? God, what do you want me to do with my career? Those of you that, that don't own the business, you work. God, what is it you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do with my relationships? God, what do you want me to do with my family? God, what do you want me to do with my spouse? God, how do you want me to treat my spouse? And let me tell you one of the things that I know, because half of all those that name the name of Christ are divorcing today, nobody's asking that question. Nobody's asking the question, God, what do you want me to do with my spouse? What do you want me to do? We've become so cavalier as it relates to divorce in the church, it's unbelievable. Because nobody's asking that question. God, what do you want? I know what you as a human being want. I also know what your children want. But that doesn't even matter. What matters is, is my feelings, you know, how I feel, my desires. And you're not asking the question, God, what do you want? Because if Christians were asking that question, the divorce rate wouldn't be as high as it is. Because I know what God's will is. I know it. And if you're on your second or third or sixth marriage, my point isn't to make you feel guilty. My point is, is maybe this one, you ask uh, 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 harder questions, deeper questions. So that this one really does, you know, is the one that you, that, 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 that works kind of a thing. Number five, give the Lord the first call in, in every trial. Psalms 50 says, then call on me when you're in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. Beloved, look, you give the Lord the first thought of every morning, and I'm challenging you to do that. You give the Lord the first day of every week. You know, you, you make this important, a commitment. I'm challenging you to do that. I'm challenging you to, to, to bring a gift to the Lord, the best part, some gift, a gift of joy. You give God the first shot at all the decisions that go on in your life. And you give God the first call with every trial. Wow, I must you know something. I think those are five practical things that will help you make sure that you're seeking God's kingdom first. Beloved, God wants you to talk to him first when you're in trouble. He wants you to talk to him first when you got a problem. He wants you to talk to him first when you're under stress. Not your spouse, not your pastor or your friends or your therapist or whoever, but God. Talk with God first. Now let me tell you what God often does. God will often direct you to talk with your spouse. He'll direct you to talk with your pastor. He'll direct you to talk with your counselor. He'll direct you to talk with a friend. But he wants you to come to him first so that he can direct you to the right person. See, oftentimes we're, we're under stress, we're under, you know, we got troubles, problems, and we never talk to God, and so what we do is we run out and grab some friend of ours, and that's exactly what Satan wants. There you go, yeah, talk to that person. And all they do is give you a bunch of godless advice. Advice that's just going to lead you down a, a rabbit trail. And God says, no, call on me first. Come to me. 
And sometimes, a lot of times, you go to him first. You don't ever have to talk with your therapist or your pastor or your friends or whoever. But thank the Lord that we have them. I'm thankful that I've got some good friends in my life that I can talk with. I'm thankful that I've got my spouse that I can talk to. I'm thankful that i got a therapist that I can talk to, and I have one. But that isn't the first soul that I go to. Beloved, if you'll apply these five things, if you'll do them, the chances are pretty good that God will be first in your life or remain first in your life, which means he'll meet all your needs. He'll bless your life. He promises it. So the first key to experiencing God's blessing in your life is make God's kingdom, his will, your, your first priority. Number two, God blesses you when you depend on God's power. This is that second word. He blesses you pours out his favor on you when you really depend on his power. Psalms 84 says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. One version says, you bless all who depend on you for their strength. Beloved, God doesn't bless people who are self-sufficient. If you've got the attitude of, you know, hey man, I don't need God's help, you know, I got this great education. Hey, I've been you know, doing this for a lot of years. I got a lot of wisdom. I don't need your help, God. God says, fine. Go for it. Use your own power. Use your own strength. He doesn't pour out his favor on your life. He just leaves it up to you which didn't cause you to have more stress and problems and now you got ulcers and, man, your life is a mess, isn't it? But let me tell you what happens when you come to God and you say, oh, God, I'm just clueless. Help me, God. Oh, God, help me. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. Hey, Dad, when your children come to you and they say, hey, Dad, I need your help. Help me, Dad. Can't do this on my own, Dad. Help me. When my kids do that, I'm like Superman. Yes! What do you need? You've got the full force of your father at your disposal. What do you need? Here I am. And I think the Father, our Heavenly Father, does the same thing. When we go, Father, I'm lost. Oh, God, I need your help. Help me. How do I do this? God says, okay, man. Here I am. You get all of me. You get my power. Why is that? Well, I want you to know, it, it, it takes faith to depend on God. It takes trust. It takes belief. And God blesses people who have faith. You see, when you have to depend on God, wow, whew, that takes faith. It doesn't take any faith to go ground, round up six buddies and say, man, I need your help. I need your wisdom. Let's all get in the room and figure out how I can do it. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 3. Those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Beloved Abraham in the Old Testament was a man of great faith. He depended on God. He trusted God and God blessed him because of it. And when you live by faith like Abraham, God does the same thing. 
He blesses your life. He pours out his blessings on, on your life. Beloved, God loves it when you trust him with your life. When you really trust him with your life, which is one of the reasons why God allows things to come into your life that are way over your head. It's why God allows things to come into your life that just overwhelm you at times. Because he wants you to grow in your faith. He wants you to learn to depend on him more and more and more. Look, if the only things that ever came into your life were things that you could handle on your own, your own strength, your own power, then you wouldn't depend on God. And God wants to pour out his blessing on you. He wants your life to be rich and satisfying. He wants to give you that abundant life. And that happens when you trust him, when you really put your faith in him. And so he allows stuff to happen that are overwhelming over our heads where we have to go, whoa, 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 oh God. One of the great examples is, is in, in um, Exodus chapter 14. You've got uh, Moses leading the people out of Egypt, and then he runs into a huge problem. There's the Red Sea, and behind him, you can see all this dust from the chariots of the Egyptian army. So out there's the Red Sea, and here comes the Egyptian army. They're coming after him. This is an overwhelming situation for Moses. It's over his head. Whoa. The people, they can see it. Oh, no. And in Exodus chapter 14, we see some classic responses that, that we even see uh, today. In verse 11, it says this. The people go, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt, Moses? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Well, there's a positive response. <laughs> there's this dilemma. And the people just give up, don't they? Does that sound like maybe us at times? There's something overwhelming that happens in our lives. It's over our heads, and we're just like the people of Egypt. Oh, uh, you know, we're people of, of God here. We're, we're just, oh, man, I'm giving up. Oh, this is horrible. Why, oh, this is, oh, boy, woe is me. Moses had a different response. Moses said this in verse 13. Don't be afraid. Stand still and watch the Lord rescue you. Now, that sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Here's, here are the people, you know, they got the white flag up. They're ready to surrender and turn around. And Moses says something that's kind of spiritual. His response is, hey, just, just hunker down. Stand still. Let's watch the Lord work. But God had a different response. As spiritual as that sounded, God had something else to say. Verse 15 says this. Then God said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving! <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You got one group of people saying, oh man, I'm turning around, this is horrible. Moses saying, hey guys, just stand right here, everything's gonna be cool, just, just trust in the Lord. And God says, Moses, would you keep moving? Uh, 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 
there's an ocean right down there. And here's Moses. He's got a choice to make. This doesn't make any sense. I know you tell me you're going to split the thing, but how about doing it now? <laughs> It'd be way easier for me to get the people to move if you could split that baby up right now. And God says, no, I'm not going to split it right now. You've got to take a step of faith. You've got to believe me. And so Moses says, hey, man, here, here we go. And they start moving. And it's when they move. It's when they take the steps that God says, okay, great. Thank you for trusting me. Thank you for depending upon me. Wow, look at my people. They're heading right for that body of water. Watch this. Woo! All right, look at that, people. And all the good guys went across, and the bad guys all got, you know, swallowed up in the, in the ocean. Beloved, that was a faith-building moment. And God often allows these, these moments to come that are just overwhelming. They're just, whoa, they're big. And he allows those things to come so that you'll go, okay, God, I'm going to depend on you. I'm going to trust you, God. And I'm not talking about human willpower. Human willpower would have been Moses getting together with all the construction guys going, okay, listen, how long would it take us to build a, an overpass? How, how do we do that? Which is what we do when troubles come. We get together and try to get all this human wisdom together. How are we going to figure this out to make it work? And God's going, no, no, no. This, that's not how it's going to happen. How it's going to happen is you just move towards that body of water and you just do what I say and watch what happens. And I'll blow your mind. I'll deepen your faith. God said this through the prophet Jeremiah God said, the person who trusts in the Lord will be blessed. The person who trusts in the Lord, who really believes in the Lord, that person's blessed. That person will live the abundant life, the full life. <clears throat> so what step is it that God wants you to take? What's the step of faith you need to take? What's that risky step? And that's the thing. That's the thing about taking these steps. It's risky. Because you don't know what's going to happen. For some of you, it might be the, the step of faith of committing your life to Jesus Christ. You've been coming here for weeks now, maybe months now, and wow. Man, if I give my life to Christ, man, what are my friends going to think? Yeah, they may think you're a weirdo. I remember when I gave my life to the Lord, I uh, had a number of my friends who said, you know, hey, did you hear about countrymen? Yeah, he saw Jesus. I think he got some bad acid. He, he saw the Lord. I'm not kidding. My friends left me quicker than you can say Rip Van Winkle, man. The last thing they wanted to do was be around me. Maybe, maybe God will send you to Africa. Oh, huh? no. He might. I don't know what God will do. Maybe it's a step of being baptized. Oh, man, I don't know. Water freaks me out. What if I go into the water and pass out, you know? 
Well, it makes baptism easy. We just pull you up. You just, it's, you, you've made it real simple for us. We just, whoa, they passed out. Oh, look at here. Okay, get them out. Take them out. We'll, we'll take care of you. <laughs> oh, no, you know. I can't imagine standing up in front of people having to tell people I'm a Christian. Yeah, that's horrible, isn't it? That's just, that's risky. Having to stand up and tell people I'm going to follow Christ. Maybe it's a step of faith, of sharing your faith with somebody. That's risky. What if they reject you? They might, and probably they will. In fact, the overwhelming majority of the people will reject you. Well, I'll be embarrassed, and I'll be, yeah, you might. It's risky. Let me tell you something. As a youth pastor here for almost 20 years, I, I, I had a lot of kids who rejected me to the point where many of them, I couldn't count, uh, well, a handful of kids literally spit loogies in my face. So let me, I, I take that as a no. You're not really, you know, Jesus really isn't high on the priority scale. Is that, is that, did, I, did I get that right? People will reject you. It's risky to share your faith, I know. Maybe it's the step of faith of becoming a part of our church family, membership. It's risky to put your life under the authority of a, uh, of a group of godly men and elders. That's risky. It's risky to join, you know, something and say, okay, man, count me in. I'll be a part of it. That, that could be risky. Maybe it's the step of faith of saying, I'm going to make a fresh commitment to my marriage and to my kids. That's risky because maybe, you know, you'll get rejected again. That's risky, I know. Maybe it's the step of faith of becoming part of a small group. That's risky. Showing up at a house where you don't know anybody, you know, and what if I spill coffee on myself, or what if I say something stupid, or, you know, what if, you know, that's, I, I know, it's risky. I know. That's why a lot of you haven't done it. And yet you know God's calling you to do it. You're just like Moses. Uh, uh, are you sure? Get moving. And watch what I do. You see, taking steps of faith can be very risky. I know. But if you want God's blessing on your life, if you want the one life you got to really count for the kingdom... You want to experience that rich and satisfying life, look, you got to put God's kingdom number one and you got to depend on God's power. And I know that can be very risky. Maybe for some of you, it's taking the step and volunteering in ministry. We got a lot of needs around this place. It kind of looks like when you're here, whoa, everything's together. You know, you got the band, you got the choir, you got the orchestra, you got all these workers, you got ushers and greeters and people walking to parking lots. It looks like everything's together and we work hard because we think God is, is worth our efforts. But let me tell you something. If you're here and you're not serving somewhere, um, there's something missing in my life. God has created you to be a blessing in my life. God has created you to be a blessing in somebody else's life. You're a part of the family here. You're a part of the body of Christ. 
And if you're not sure where you ought to volunteer, come this Saturday and be a part of uh, our SHAPE class where we help you discover what that is, where it is you would serve here. So the, the first key to experiencing God's blessing in your life is to make God's kingdom, you know, his will, your top priority. The second key is to depend on God's power in your life. And last but not least, number three, God blesses you when you live for God's glory. There's that third word. Kingdom, power, glory. Psalms 115 says, He, God, will bless everyone who honors him. The great and the small alike. Now, how do you do that? How do you honor God? How do you live for God's glory? Well, let me give you a thought here because I don't have a, a whole lot of time. And I just talked about it a moment ago. I'm going to zero in on this. You honor God when you use your abilities, your, your talents, your spiritual gifts to help others. Listen to what our brother Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4. He said, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to make lots of money. That isn't what it says. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Now when you do this, when you use your gifts, your talents, and your abilities to serve others, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's not a comprehensive list of all the things. He talks about speaking and helping. There are all kinds of gifts and abilities. Beloved, one of the, the great ways to bring glory to God is when you use your abilities to help people. God has wired you. Listen to me. God has wired each of you to make a contribution. That's the way he wired you. And you'll never experience that abundant life, that rich and satisfying life, unless you make that contribution, whatever it might be. Aren't you glad that when you show up here on the weekends that there's a, a program all folded up for you where you can take some notes and there's stuff all put in there? You think we got a bunch of leprechauns in a room that just magically put those together? No. There's a group of people who love Jesus Christ deeply. And they come down here on Fridays. And they have great camaraderie right outside these halls. And they fold all those things and put them all together to God's glory. And God pours out his blessings on each one of those who serve in that thing. There's all kinds of areas where you can use your gifts, talents, and abilities for God's glory. God didn't just give you your abilities so you could go out and make a bunch of money or be cool or whatever. God gave you those abilities to help other people, that you would be a blessing to other people. Proverbs 11 says, says it like this, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. That's the way God made it to happen. Some of you, look, you just have to start using your gifts and your talents and your abilities. Give, 
give. Jesus said it's just greater to give than to receive. There's a greater blessing when you give, when you serve, than when you just sit and take and receive. Look, did you know that just being nice to people brings glory to God? The Bible says in Romans 15, therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. One version says this, warmly welcome each other into the church just as Christ has warmly welcomed you, then God will be glorified. Yes, it brings glory to God when I stand up here and preach, and yes, it brings glory to God when people sing, but it brings glory to God when you are just kind to one another when you welcome each other, when you accept one another, that brings glory to God. And one of the ways that God blesses us is when we bless others, when we live to, to his glory. Look, I, I want us to say those, those three things out loud together, okay? Let's say them out loud together here. Number one, God blesses me when I seek God's kingdom first. Okay, let me tell you what happens. When you filled in the last blank, okay, when 1,500 people do this, it's like a wind tunnel up here. I know you checked out. You got the last blank. You got your Bibles put away. You got your pins back in your pocket protector. You're ready to go. Your purse is zipped up, I know. I'm, I'm still preaching, though. I'm still giving you everything I got here. Okay? Okay? <laughs> Gordon and I were talking. I, man, he preached his guts out last week. It was a great message. But, man, you even hear it on the, on, the, on the CD when you listen. Everyone's done. I ain't done yet. I ain't done. I got, I want, I, let's just do these three things out loud together. So I got your, gain, your, your brains engaged. Here we go. Number one, God blesses me when I seek God's kingdom first. Number two, God blesses me when I depend on God's power. Number three, God blesses me when I live for God's glory. Now this is what I want you to do. Just bow your head just for a moment. Just, just be quiet before the Lord. Just be quiet. We're only going to be here just a, a few more moments, and then we're going to sing a, a great song, the Lord's Prayer, together as we end this, this series. But for some of you, wow. You know the Lord, and God's important to you, but he hasn't been number one in your life. Today, commit to that. Commit to God's kingdom. Seeking God's kingdom first. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, that alarm goes off. First thing, good morning, Lord. I give you my life. Direct me today. Put down on the calendar, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Give, give the Lord the first day. Give, give him a time. Commit to that. Bring a gift next week. Honor the Lord. Give him the first part of every paycheck, the best. Got a decision coming up in your life, your family, your business, your marriage? Let, let, let God enter into it. Got a trial, some trouble, some stress in your life? Give, give God the first call. Talk to him. 
What, what risky step does God want you to take? Coming to member? Getting into a small group? Bringing an offering? Volunteering? Baptism? Telling your wife you love her and you're sorry? Ask for forgiveness? Asking your husband for forgiveness? What, what risky step of faith is God calling you to make? Are you committed to living a life that brings glory to God? Over in the venue in here, why don't we all stand and let's, let's sing that great song, the Lord's Prayer together as we wrap up the series. Pastor Scott. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this series and uh, an amazing prayer that you taught us. Lord, the principles that we have learned. And even today, Father, how that if we will do what you've called us to do, what you've asked us to do, to put you first, that our lives will be blessed. And Father, thank you for the blessings you give us. And I pray, God, that you would give us a, a great day now as we head our separate ways, Father. And, and if those uh, uh, here today... Uh, you've been speaking to their hearts, need prayer. Father, I, I pray that they would head to the altar for that. God, thank you so much for your love and your faithfulness to us and your blessings. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.